0: Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode 54, Wisdom, Prophecy, Astronomy, and Christmas. So a lot goes on around Christmas time with Christmas traditions and uh, people going to church and hearing the, the story of baby Jesus and things like that. And I wanted to approach it with a little bit different um, different viewpoint this time. Uh, we all know the Christmas traditions people have about Santa Claus and you can Google St. Nicholas and, and how, uh, people, the Dutch immigrants celebrated his death on December 6th. And that gave birth in the early 1800s in America to the celebration of St. Nicholas and Santa Claus. And then the commercialization that happened in the 1840s, 1850s, the Santa Claus classic movie miracle on 34th street in 1947. And just a lot of fun traditions that have a basis, a root in uh, goodness and reality. So I wanted to touch on very quickly the birth of Jesus Christ and then get into, like I said, a completely different viewpoint. So first of all, we don't have a known record of the birth of Jesus being on December 25th. Okay. Okay. What we do have is about 200 AD, a Christian teacher in Egypt made a reference to the date that Jesus was born. And he referenced, uh, it was Clement of Alexandria, three different scholars who thought that Jesus had been born in uh, one of them was March, one was April, and one was May. In some places in the East, in Egypt and Asia Minor, it was uh, viewed as January 6th. Um, But that was called the Feast of the Epiphany when the Magi came to find Jesus. Yet nobody celebrated Christ's birth in the early church. The celebrations were not at Christmas time, December 25th. Uh, It was more about Easter and Jesus Christ being risen from the dead and the purpose of him coming to conquer death so that we could go to heaven. So brief history of how this came about on December 25th for Christians and this comes mostly from history.com so you know take it with a grain of salt the dates may not be accurate but the oldest existing record of a Christmas celebration is found in a Roman almanac that tells of Christ's nativity festival led by the Church of Rome in 336 AD so there's not specific writings as to why it was celebrated on December 25th Although some people believe it came from pagan celebrations for the winter solstice. So you had the pagan god Saturn, the god of agriculture, December 17th to the 25th. 25th was the last celebration for the winter solstice, celebrating the new solar cycle. Families and friends would exchange gifts. There's another Persian god of myth, uh, Mithraism or something like that, the god of light for the winter solstice. Uh, it was popular in the Roman army. However, The Roman Emperor Constantine I converted to Christianity in 312. The church leaders of that time, the Catholic Church, made an effort to appropriate the holidays to a Christian holiday. So from Rome, the Christ Nativity celebration spread through the Catholic world around December 25th. And it's assumed it was because of those winter solstice celebrations that everyone was used to doing. And then, of course, other Christmas traditions came along, the lighting of the Yule Log, decorations with the evergreens uh, from the Germanic tribes. And then the word Christmas came about today because of the Catholic Church turning it into Christ's Mass on December 25th. So that was carried over from about the fourth century with Emperor Constantine. And then St. Nicholas came because of Dutch, Dutch immigrants. The Christmas trees came from the German immigrants. So there's a lot of traditions when it comes to Christmas that come from various parts of the world. Uh, you can find fault with some of them. Some traditions are harmless. Uh You know, however, you want to look at them, but the family traditions and the typical American Christmas has really come from all over the world. And we've assigned the date of Christ's birth to that because nobody really knows when Christ was born. Now, when it comes to the prophecy in the Bible of Jesus Christ's birth, well, there's lots of prophecies. Now, Jesus himself fulfilled uh, some people, if you search it, to say over 324 prophecies. Um, but it's safe to say, uh, if you look at the Old Testament, there are clearly close to 300 prophecies. And depending on how you look at duplicates being quoted, um, way more than that in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his life. So if you start at the very beginning, I'll just briefly go over a few of them here and then talk about the significance of that. Uh, at the very beginning in Genesis three fifteen, there's a prophecy that some sort of Messiah will come to defeat the devil. And it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this was after the serpent convinced Eve to eat of the fruit that was forbidden in the garden. And she convinced Adam and God came and caught them and said, look, the serpent's going to be punished by an offspring of the woman. And in crushing the head of the serpent, basically defeating or killing the serpent, right? The serpent's going to bite the heel and bruise his heel. So there's going to be pain to this Messiah that will destroy the evil one, right? So that is the first right after sin entered the garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that you have an inkling of what is to come. Then you have, uh, when Abraham was told that he was going to be a father of many nations in Genesis 12 verse two, it says, and I will make of thee a great nation. The first reference to the Jewish race, And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So this is not specific, but it is clearly an allusion to the fact that the savior, the Messiah would come to the Jewish race and because of him, the entire earth can be blessed and have the potential to be in heaven. So that's, you start to see that God's narrowing it down here as time goes on on the earth to now a race of people that he's going to have the Messiah born to. Then you go to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, and now you get some specifics. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then if you read in the New Testament, the angels told Mary that his name would be called Emmanuel. So you see that in Isaiah 7, 14. And then the prophecy is given as to what this means to the earth. That is in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So it's very clear here. It's not just a man that is born of a virgin that's going to defeat the devil. It's going to be the mighty God, right? And then verse seven of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. And there you go. So now you have the lineage from King David. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So now it's saying, all right, now it's through the tribe of the Jews. It's now going to be through King David's lineage. And that's why you have the genealogies in the Gospels showing how Jesus Christ is related to King David. All right. But he says, forever. Ever. His throne will be forever. The only way that that can happen is if Jesus Christ is actually God and he reigns for all eternity. So once he is crowned king on earth and, and takes control of the kingdom and the governments, there will be no end. It will last forever. So that is a reference to his being eternal. The fact that it is God, right? And then you have the location of his birth in Micah, Micah 5.2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So now you know from the prophecies of the old times that it would be in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, that this king was coming. And then you have Hosea 11.1, 1. it says that Jesus, not that's not the name in Hosea, but it says that this Messiah would come out of Egypt. So he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to come out of Egypt. So Hosea 11.1 1 says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So what does all that mean? Well, first of all, in order for these prophecies to be fulfilled, it's astronomically impossible. All right. So let me just give you some quick math here. I just wanted to share this with you because I thought this was cool. Mathematician Peter Stoner applies the modern science of probability to if only eight out of the 300 prophecies were fulfilled. He concluded that the chance of a human being, a prophesied Messiah, fulfilling eight of the prophecies given like 500 years prior is one in 100 quadrillion. That is one with 17 zeros. So Stoner illustrated it this way. He said, if you take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them flat on the face of Texas, they will cover the entire state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly blindfold a person, And tell him that he must walk through the state of Texas, reach down into this two feet of silver dollars and pick one. And that happens to be the right one that is marked. What chance would he have of getting that one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing just eight of the prophecies and having them all fulfilled in one person. So you have to realize these prophecies were written by different people over a span of thousands of years. Genesis was written in approximately 1500 BC. Hosea was about 760 BC. Isaiah was written in about 700 BC and Micah was written about 515 BC. And the birth of Jesus was supposedly zero BC. Now there's argument. It could be the two or three AD because the dates may be off and we don't know for sure, but The point is 500, 700, and 1,500 years prior, these prophecies were written about Jesus. So here comes the really cool part. People knew it was coming because of these prophecies. So you have the story of the wise men in the book of Matthew. And I want to read that to you and follow along. Think about the things that they had to know and the things they had to do as we read this. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So they talked, right? All Jerusalem knew these guys were here. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So now they're searching the scriptures and they're trying to figure out where is this king being born because these magi just told us about it. Verse five, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. So it's not a baby at this point. The, the star had appeared. They traveled and got there. They searched. They inquired. Couldn't find him. King Herod brought him up, told him, hey, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem. And he said, search for the young child. So my best guess is he was about nine months old. Some people say is as old as two years old when they finally found him. So again, in verse eight, and when you have found him, Herod says, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star, which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, so here they're traveling at night again, right? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose... He took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. They left everything they had and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt, have I called my son. So this is an amazing story. Let's look at how did the Magi know? How did these wise men know the study of the stars? So these wise men came from the East the countries to the east, which are now modern-day Iran and Iraq, uh, were part of the uh, Medo-Persian Empire. Um, they had a priestly caste called Magi that were diviners of truth. They were magicians and astrologers. Uh, they were learned men of science. They conquered the Babylon, which was just south of Baghdad, Iraq today. And remember, they captured of the Jews Daniel and trained him to become one of their uh, Magi. King Darius appointed what was called satraps to help rule over this diverse kingdom. There was 120 of them. Daniel was one of three rulers over these satraps who then educated them and taught them on how to divine truth and knowledge from the stars and from the prophecies and from the one true God. If you look at Daniel six, chapter three. So learning about the Magi, you might want to actually go back and read about Daniel because this was back in about 600 BC about how Daniel rose to power because he knew the most powerful creator God and could interpret dreams and was more powerful and knowledgeable than the greatest astrologers, magicians and learned men of the day. That's how he became powerful and was appointed to become ruler of the medo-Persian Empire. So if you look at the original constellations, the gospel story was actually told before it got destroyed by the Babylonian Empire and the constellations and the horoscopes that we have today. There's two people that have studied this and will tell you the story. there's the, the story in the stars the original constellations tells the story of creation, of virgin birth, the death of jesus christ on the cross and his throne being in power as a king so joseph a seiss in the book called the gospel and the stars and there's another scientist dr bollinger wrote the witness of the stars are are good books to look at in regards to this now i don't necessarily subscribe to everything that they talk about and their view of christianity and such but there is definitely historical record that the stars, the constellations actually tell the story of a king being born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that there's an actual star that indicated the birth of this king. So if you study actual science and the rotation of the stars and the timing and the, the positions and the galaxies and, and I don't know all this stuff that has been watered down over time into two different disciplines. We have astrology and astronomy. Astrology is reading future events in the stars, which has become paganized and the new constellations were made. And now we have the horoscopes, which are very generic and fake. And, and there's lots of uh, falsehood in astrology nowadays So I would propose that potentially in the beginning of time, if you look at the Bible, God says his majesty and his power and handiwork is shown in the stars so that even people who have never heard about God can look at nature and know God. So my idea here and my belief is that the stars actually tell the creation story and the hope of Jesus Christ if you actually are smart enough To learn the constellations the way they really are. And I think being able to predict because we know the movement of the stars and the galaxies and we can actually time where, you know, every so many centuries, a certain star comes around or the comet, you know, comes around every 75 years and things like that. That now we know, I think God actually has predictions of the future in the stars and we've lost the ability to read that. And so I think that original study of God's universe has been broken down into a fake astrology that tries to mess with people and lead them away from God with false hope of generic horoscopes of how to rule your life and how to live today when that's not what the stars were intended for. And then you have the second discipline, which is astronomy, which is what, daniel and the other magi learned and studied back in those days 600 bc actual science that studies the movements of the stars and can accurately predict where they will go and where they have been you can't deny that part of science well you can but you'd be foolish (laughs) it's been proven and you can look at telescopes and you can talk to scientists who actually are in the astronomy field and they'll blow you away with the things that they know and the things they've seen. So that is where these magi came from. And, or at least I believe where they came from. Then if you look at Daniel chapter nine, he predicts when the Messiah would come in Daniel chapter nine, he talks about 69 weeks of years, which if you do weeks of years, it's 483 years from the decree of uh, Darius to rebuild Jerusalem that's what he says in Daniel 9. The decree came approximately 460 to 440 BC, if you read Nehemiah 2 5, and then you look at history of when King Darius actually decreed Jerusalem to be rebuilt. So, that prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 said the prince, the king that was coming, would be cut off or would die in the 69th week, he would be killed. The Jewish priests numbers 443 that's a reference numbers chapter 4 verse 43 actually says that jewish priests must be at least 30 years old so the wise men if they studied the ancient scriptures if they were learned in jewish history from daniel they would have known that 483 years from the decree of king darius minus 30 years because this king would have had to have been 30 years old to be killed at this time would be the approximate birthday or birth year of this great King of Israel, the mighty God. So the wise men probably numbered the years. Then they taught their magi future generations over these 600 years from Daniel until Jesus was born to look for his star around that year. I believe that's how they knew. And I believe that these magi had bug out bags ready and servants looking out on the hilltops at night, looking for a star over in the kingdoms of the Jewish world. And when that star appeared, I think they grabbed their bug out bags, grabbed their weapons, what the treasures that they had set aside that they had collected over these years to prepare for this Messiah and hopped on their camels and went. So here's what their journey was like. On average, a camel can travel 31 miles per day in the daytime in about eight hours, eight to 10 hours of travel, pretty much nonstop if you're carrying water and all that stuff on you to take care of yourself. That's how camels travel, right? Now, it's possible that they traveled at night to follow the stars and they stayed in tents in the daytime because they were trying to follow this star towards Jerusalem. It's also possible that they traveled during the daytime. We don't know. Because if they knew it was supposed to be in Bethlehem, then they could have just made a beeline straight for Bethlehem, right? But maybe they didn't know that particular prophecy, and maybe they were just traveling at nighttime to follow this star. Think of the people they had with them. If they had planned this for decades, maybe even centuries, they would probably have soldiers with them to protect their Gold and frankincense and myrrh, they were giving to a king, right? They would have had a procession of attendants with them. The herders, the maybe even a flock of sheep or goats to eat along the way. And we'll get to that in a minute because it was a long trip. Okay. But the point is, it may have been a huge group of people, maybe 50 people. I don't know. It also could have been three separate groups of people. Maybe one group of people brought the frankincense. One group of people brought the myrrh. And one group of people brought the, the gold and they met up in Bethlehem. I, I don't know. We just know that wise men appeared with these treasures for, for a king. They, they could have been strong warrior types, tough mountain men that, you know, were just learned and, and understood and believed in the, the one true God and wanted to come worship him. So they just traveled alone and they traveled quickly. We don't know how many people came. But they brought three gifts and they came from the east. That is what we do know. So as they're traveling, you have to remember there's no refrigerators. There's no way of freeze drying food. So food spoiled very quickly. So along their trip, traveling from the Medo-Persian Empire all the way over to Jerusalem, they had to have days to hunt and prepare the food that they captured. So if you think about a long travel, a long trip by camel, and if you have to stop every four days or five days or maybe once a week to replenish your food supply, and then you have to build ovens to be able to cook the food so it doesn't spoil, so it'll last a little bit longer, right? And, and maybe it's just campfires. You know, I, I don't know what elaborate means they went to or how many people was with them, but you've got to think from the human aspect of it a trip of a thousand miles by a camel is going to take some time and you have to have food and water. So their trip would not have been straight, like by a car or a train to get straight to Bethlehem. It would have been meandering over the countryside, getting to water holes to fill their water, being able to hunt for food, different things that they did because a large part of this was desert as well. So it 31 miles per day, is when a camel is like traveling straight. But if they're meandering around to get to the water holes and to follow food and to hunt, chances are they didn't actually travel 31 straight miles. Chances are they may traveled 10, 15 miles in a day as they went to the left and to the right. And they didn't go straight. And then each night they would have to check the star to see where the star was and point them in the right direction for the next day. So you got to think about the human perspective of this, but the best possible speed with no days to hunt or rest or anything. If they came from Babylon, that's 50 miles South of Baghdad today. That's 660 miles. If they were able to go straight, which is almost impossible and nonstop, it would take them 33 days by camel to get there. Now, if they came from Iran the middle of the Medo-Persian empire. It's 1,360 miles straight during the day, eight hours travel, eight to 10 hours travel straight as the crow flies would take 68 days over two months. So my guess is the reality they took probably nine to 12 months or even longer from when they saw the star at his birth to when they actually arrived. They had to prepare months in advance and they came with gifts for a king. So remember they inquired and then they went to the king's palace and asked him and he asked them, Hey, where, where is this king supposed to be? And they're like, Hey, it's Bethlehem. And he sent them to Bethlehem. So an actual king conferred with these three wise men who had treasure chests and kingly gifts. And then they went to Bethlehem. Remember the shepherds in Luke chapter two, the shepherds that had the uh, angels appear to them, the multitude of angels that told them the king was born. So read Luke chapter two, if you're not sure about that, well, those shepherds went throughout the city of Bethlehem and told other people, right? So when these magi arrived, all they had to do was ask around and eventually someone, oh yeah, you know, nine months ago, there was, there was a king born and the angels appeared and they, these shepherds, they, they know all about it then they go and talk to them and find out where the house is. And they go there and like people talk, right? So there was asking around and then they eventually found him. This took time. It was not baby Jesus when the Magi were there. He was a young child at the point that they finally got there and found him. The gifts that they brought was frankincense, myrrh and gold. Again, think gifts for a king. They literally thought that this king was going to be born in a castle and take power right? Physically. So they brought gifts that were something you would bring into a palace. My guess is they had some sort of small treasure chest for each one. And like I said, soldiers with them to guard it and protect it and make sure it didn't get stolen along the way. My guess is it was very ornate. Maybe even had gems on the treasure chest. I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, why did they come? They knew this king was going to be God that would rule the world forever, but they knew sometime after age 30, he was going to be put to death. So frankincense, one of the things they brought, can be used for funerals or new births of a baby or for weddings. So frankincense was one of the most expensive, good smelling things that they could bring. So incense to light at special occasions. So they did this, and of course, king's palaces would have incense. They would want things to smell nice, right? So this was a very fancy perfume that they could burn for the king and that the king could have at his special occasions, right? But then myrrh. Myrrh is something that was only used back in that day for embalming and possibly for treatment of serious wounds. They knew that this king was going to die they brought myrrh for his parents for embalming his body that means they probably ended up talking to his mother mary and his father joseph and explaining the purpose of these gifts think about that aspect for the mother and father of this new baby or nine month old or two-year-old child and of course gold the only metal fit for a king now think about that gold What happened right after they left? Joseph and Mary were told by an angel flee to Egypt. Joseph was a carpenter. He had a job. He had a career, maybe even a shop. They rose up in the middle of the night and fled for their lives out of the country because King Herod sent soldiers throughout Jerusalem or to Bethlehem to slaughter any young male that was born because he didn't want a king that might take over from him. So they needed gold in Egypt to establish a new life, to get a house, a place to live, land, tools, crops, maybe a new trade, or maybe he set up shop, but he needed that gold. It helped take care of his family for the next several years until he came out of Egypt. Now, at the beginning, we talked about wisdom, right? So this is why all of this is important. Yeah, it's a cool story, but the life of Christ was so monumental in the world that humanity measures time according to when he was born, A.D. and B.C. In 525 A.D., the monk Dionysius Exegus proposed a calendar starting with the birth of Jesus. It was the start of the A.D. system. It was standardized with the Gregorian calendar by Pope Gregory VIII in the 16th century. And A.D. stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of the Lord. So A.D., 0 A.D., was supposed to be their best estimate in 525 A.D., 500 years after the birth of Christ, their best estimate of when, what year Jesus was born. B.C. stands for before Christ do not give in to this new age crap of bce before the common era and the common era instead of ad to erase 2000 years of history we need to be wise and understand that for the last 500 years and even for the last 1500 years those who believed in christianity have always the entire world has always understood the importance of the birth of jesus christ Don't throw that away by giving in to their common era crap. Anno Domini means the year of the Lord. That's why in old books and in old movies, you'll hear in the year of our Lord, 1942, you know, and they'll tell you these things happen because that's literally what AD means. It is a monument to Jesus Christ being born in the reality in this world that the entire world was affected by his life. And then don't forget the realities of the human lives involved that made this a monumental event. Don't discount the hardships of Jesus' mother and father and them having to flee for their lives and having a son that was to be murdered. Understand the realities of these foreign entities, the Magi coming from a foreign country, studying and preparing for the Jewish king, the Jews were a very small tribe in, in the view of the entire humanity. For them to care about a king being born to the Jews, that's monumental. The historical aspect, the, the social aspect of that, the, the national reality of that is just mind-boggling. It is a monumental event that brought treasures and kings and wise men from around the world to understand how important Jesus Christ was. The slaughter of Jewish children by King Herod makes the reality of Jesus' birth a monumental event. The impact on the modern world for all modern nations to change their calendar based on the birth of Jesus acknowledges the monumental event that this was. You, listening to this right now, and I, would be extremely foolish to discount the birth of Jesus as merely a story to be told once a year. The conclusion is this Christ's birth was a miracle promised by God from the beginning of time. The purpose was so that he would grow up to die on the cross as an eternal as the eternal God to pay for our sins so that we can go to heaven. Traditions at Christmas time are just that. They're traditions. They're fun, they're good, they're heartwarming. Give gifts, decorate with lights, do a Christmas tree, do whatever you want in the right spirit of giving and love and joy. Christmas may be a time to celebrate and explain the birth of Jesus. Yes, we know it's not the actual birth of Jesus. It, it's not the only time you should talk about it, but it's an important time. And, and it's something that the whole world has recognized December 25th, Christmas, as as the time to celebrate the birth of Christ, because we don't know for sure when it was. It might've been January 6th. It might've been March, April, or May. We have no idea. So Christianity, the modern world has picked December 25th and rightfully so that we've made a holiday out of it so that we can actually have a day dedicated to the birth of Christ. We celebrate our birthdays. Why would we not celebrate the most important birthday in the entire world in human history? In conclusion, with all of the things that we know, God's amazing. We can love God for what he's done. We can love other people for their traditions and we can give gifts to other people and the whole purpose is to change the world for Christ. So until next time, may God bless you all and Merry Christmas.